Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Housing to the Aged Action Group, Hague for short, a housing group for older people run by old people. Present Raise the Roof. We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. That's right, you're listening to Raise the Roof here on 3CR, 8.55am, uh, the Housing for the Age Action Group show. My name is Shane, I'm here with Fiona. How are you doing today, Fiona? Hey, Shane. Uh, <laughs> I'm good, Fiona, thanks. How are you? <laughs> you know, I'm good, actually. It's a nice sunny day. A nice sunny day. Um, it's 5.30pm, you might recall, so I don't know. The, uh, let's see how sunny it is. The... Listeners will actually know what the weather is like at the time of this broadcast, so they might have a better idea than us of the weather. Um, sorry, I'm distracting myself. We were lucky today to interview, uh, talk to Peter Sibley, who is the former treasurer at HAG and also the general manager of the United Housing Co-op. Do I have that name right? You do. Um, so let's just jump into it. How are you going today, Peter? Oh, really good, thanks, Fiona. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. So... We've got asked you on today to talk. You're actually Hag's recently departed and beloved treasurer, um, but we've got you on today to talk a little bit about community housing and and some of the developments you're doing in the western suburbs of Melbourne. Um, but before we get into that, would you be able to tell us a little bit about United Housing Co-op and for listeners that might not be aware, what cooperative housing actually is? What does it mean? Yeah, um, yeah. United Housing Cooperative's been around since the early 1980s. It's what was one of the first rental housing co-ops funded uh, to provide good quality, uh, affordable housing for low-income residents with some added choice. That was always the selling point that it was. Uh, it provided more choice than user control. And um, that's something we've really tried to focus on strongly. But United Housing uh, currently leases 90 government properties in the inner metro west and owns 12 of its own properties, which we purchased under the Family Violence Program a couple of years ago. Um, and we are largely managed by tenant members. Uh, six of our eight board members are female tenants. Um, and the other, we have two independents. We've got an accountant and a and a legal person that provide that sort of expertise. Um, so yeah, that's basically our model. Been around a long time. We're a lot different from the large housing associations. We're very much community based, but we're certainly being encouraged to step up with as part of the big housing build that's currently rolling out. So yeah. So is the key difference with a cooperative that the tenants are involved in the management or are there other differences as well or is that is that the point of difference between you and other providers? Yeah, I think that's the key difference. We we are small. We, we're still very much in a public housing model in that rents are 25% of income. 
uh, some of the associations go upwards to 30% of income for rent. We, um, I think the uh, empowerment, empowerment model uh, has good outcomes from tenancy and property management point of view, low rent arrears, etc. But it's really the uh, community engagement aspect. We have strong focus on community engagement. We have training and education programs and just like inbuilt informal support networks, which seem to work really well. But I guess like any uh, community-based organisation, whether it's an industrial union, a cooperative or a community garden, it's only as good as its members. And um, while I've, I've certainly, and our boards really encouraged members' involvement in, in governance and in all sorts of issues, um, it's really up to the members. And that's, uh, that's an important aspect. But I would say our cooperative is very strong in member participation and member involvement and um, and provides a great model for, like, we, we, as I said, took on a number of properties for women coming out of family violence and it's been a really good uh, supportive model for families and women and their children to rebuild their lives with a sort of inbuilt, informal support network, which, which I believe works really well. So... I'm quite a strong advocate for the cooperative model in that respect. So, when you say members, are the rent members the the, the tenants, or how, how does that oh, yes, work? Yes, yes. Sorry, we we often refer to tenant members. They've got a dual role. Obviously, everyone's got the same roles and responsibilities under the Residential Tenancies Act. But they also have roles and responsibilities under the Cooperations Act. So. It's a bit of a dual role. It doesn't suit everyone. Some people don't want to be part of a community and don't want to be part of a cooperative. But um, our model hasn't got high expectations on members, um, but it does, you know, we want our members to be involved, tenant members to be involved in our general meetings at least four times a year, to be involved in the committee if possible, um, and to get involved in some of our community engagement activities like we run gardening workshops, we have yoga classes occasionally. We had a lot of online social clubs during the pandemic, which really helped some people who were really isolated and struggling with the lockdown. So, yeah, we, we, we just want people to, to participate. Um, but as I said, it doesn't suit all people by any means. So recently um, you've taken over... Uh, ILU, which is independent living units in the western suburbs, and uh, and are re- redeveloping those for more housing. Um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about that project, um, how how it started, and how you went about making sure it was suitable for older tenants? Yep, um, um, United Housing Co-op, which sorry, by the way, is a was the result of a merger between the old Footscray and Essendon rental housing cops. Um, we have always have had a strong focus on growing social housing and trying to expand the co-op model. We submitted for funding under the big housing bill, the state Labor government's uh, recent initiative. And we put in, we'd had a bit of a relationship with the Footscray Lines Village in the past, and they had a really good parcel of land with 24 old, very old, run, 
I've got to be careful here, but they weren't in great condition. Um, and uh, they'd been housing a Filipino, older women from Filipino background for a number of years, and they really needed to do something about it. So we partnered up with them, um, and there was some really good, strong, common uh, goals, and we decided to put in a submission. United Housing took the lead because you have to be a registered housing provider to uh, get the funding. And after a little hard work, we were successfully um, granted a $15.3 billion, uh, grant to redevelop the old village. So that's, we're in the process of, we've just relocated all the residents temporarily, and they'll come back when we build, finish the build. Um, and we're going to build 49 uh, brand new spanking apartments on two and over two and three levels. Um, based, built around a central courtyard area, which will have you know, such things as community gardens, community orchard, and try and, and a really strong, well, trying very much to build community. So um, we hope that can be achieved and we can really focus on a good model. To assist us in um, sort of designing and coming up with the concept, we the first thing we did once we were given the grant or given notification of the grant, we consulted with a range of older people, um, about 45 in total, that from Housing for the Aged Action Group, United Housing Co-op and the existing residents about what sort of uh, village they would like to live in. We like I'm sort of promoting this idea of village. Um, and it was a really interesting process, actually, because um, I, I had this idea that intergenerational housing, which is popular in Europe, would be good here in Australia. And I really wanted to give that a crack, but it wasn't up to me, obviously. And But there was overwhelmingly the first that there was, not overwhelmingly, but there was a stronger focus on the village just housing women over the age of 55. But uh, second was this idea of incorporating some younger people as carers or um, or people that, like in Holland, for instance, where students share with an older person and they help each other out in various ways or you might have a young family, etc. So, so we decided to build mainly one-bedroom units, um, some with a small study nook, um, and then about 10 two-bedroom units. So we, we have got a bit of a mix and we're hoping to encourage a social mix in terms in time, but initially the strong focus will be on older or well, women over 55. I, I don't consider 55 old. So it still is um, an intergenerational model in lots of respect. There'll be women in the age group 55 and, and up to you know 80 or 90, so... And we have to take 75% of priority applicants, which we're more than happy to do, and we usually do anyway. And the other 25% might be low-waged women working in the service industry or whatever in the immediate area. So we're hoping to get a real blend, uh, good, good sort of, you know, diversity in what we consider really sustainable, environmentally sound, low-energy properties. They're not big by any means, but they're still very comfortable. They've all got their own 
private open space, whether it's a balcony or a little courtyard. And they've got lots of opportunity to engage with other people. And the survey showed that most of the women we surveyed really wanted to be part of a tenant management or a tenant group that had input to governance, had input to the use of communal areas, were, could be involved in exercise classes or cooking classes or health classes and to have input about how they ran the place. So I think it's we, we can only put out, make it everything available to encourage the cooperative model, but at the end of the day, as I said, it's really up to the members to, to carry it off. But we will uh, we have some staff resourcing where some of our staff members will assist, but um, we're just really hopeful the model can really take off and um, evolve into a, a village, a community with good quality, affordable social housing. Sounds all right. The, um, I was interested yeah. in what you were saying about uh, intergenerational housing as a as a kind of model. I was curious to hear more about like what what you see as the ben- benefits or, or potential benefits of a, an intergenerational arrangement, and why you think that was less popular with the the, the people that you were yeah. consulting with. I guess um, some of our older tenants and also some of our women coming out of family violence. Um, the women particularly are fairly isolated from their families and the, uh, the idea that some of the older tenants could act as a motherly and grandmotherly figure and that um, vice versa, that the older women could take on a bit of a nurturing role with the younger people and just, I guess, more representative of the broader community. But it's, it's that sort of building a village concept and... You know, I, I've been around long enough to know that it's not easy and it is fraught with problems and we need good conflict resolution processes and we need to um, work hard at it. But the intergenerational model has proven to have benefits for children, for women and for older people. You know, lots of health benefits, social benefits. And, you know, I, it's just something I'd really like to have a go at. But as I said, the, the research... Use the consultation. People are really interested in the model, but they were a little bit nervous about, you know, children grow into teenagers, and teenagers. Mm, do I want to live with a teenager when I'm eighty? I don't know. I, I think there was a little bit of hesitancy, but also a lot of interest. So, um, yeah, I guess that's where it's, it's going to go. But there was a lot of interesting you know, the community garden aspect and uh, community orchard and and uh, even transport. We, we've been discussing transport plans and uh, waste management plans or in stuff that's going to be really important in the future, how we, how we can do that and have um, affordable and sustainable lifestyles. So, and it would work well in an intergenerational housing concept, but... Um, I guess it's not on the back burner, but the the initial the initial emphasis will be yeah, on old, women over fifty five. Yeah. Well, that's good though because there's certainly a need, and it's and it's interesting to hear you say that seventy five percent are coming off the priority list. When you say that, that's the public housing or social yep, housing yep. wait list. 
Um, yep. So maybe the other 25%, are you envisaging that could potentially be some people that are over the asset limit or some of what we've been calling the missing middle, like older women who can't afford to buy property but um, have too many savings that make them ineligible for public housing? Are you looking at that or are you thinking more the essential worker concept? Yeah, I, we still have to take... Everyone has to come off the Victorian housing register. So I think um, the asset limit is up to about 13000 For priority, so yeah. The priority applicants and then the registration of interest applicants. So I think that the 25% can earn up to 1000 a week, a bit over 1000 a week, and... And have assets to th- up to thirteen thousand. So it's a yeah. It certainly will take in some of that missing middle. There has been talk about um, mixed equity co-ops, which um, which that group that you and I are both involved in in Melbourne and in Braybrook is a last ditch attempt to try and save some semblance of affordable housing in Maidstone and Braybrook and. There's a bit of a push for a mixed equity co-op, which would certainly allow um, some of that those women in the middle that, that just can't fit anywhere, can't mm. afford to buy, can't afford to get into social... I mean, so it would be great. We need a lot more models, I reckon, and this, um, we're just hoping this will be... We're 100% social housing, but it would be interesting to explore other models that had a bit of an equity mix... Um, so you've got to tell us a bit more about what mixed equity means in this context. Yeah. Um, well, it would vary, but um, the co-ops in uh, Scandinavian countries particularly, but also in the UK to some extent, where you would have uh, a majority of tenants renting properties, but you might have, uh, you know, 25 to 40% of people who contribute a small amount of money towards the property. They would invest in the co-op. It, they wouldn't have to pay for a whole property, but they might invest ten or 20000 which would help help the co-op's financial situation and contribute to the, the build. And they could live there on, with a higher income and higher assets. And if, that, if after a period of time they wanted to leave, they could withdraw the initial asset investment with an interest. They don't get capital gains as such, but they would get their money back with um, CPI consideration. But it just would uh, enable co-ops to grow a bit quicker and a bit bigger, and it does provide um, yeah, a housing option for, for people that do that can't afford to buy, but they could contribute financially, that whether it's 10, 20, 30, 40,000, um, and it's, yeah, I, I would really, it would be great to have a go at that in Australia. There's none at the moment. They're trying really hard in Western Australia. A colleague of mine, oh, well, sorry, there are some in Western Australia. There's some smaller mixed equity co-ops, and they're trying to expand that model. And, um, yeah, it'd be good to give it a crack in Victoria too, but um, yeah, so, we'll I mean, see. it sounds great. What, what are the barriers, like... I, I mean, I get that, you know, introducing a whole new concept is, is scary for people, but what do you see as the big barriers to that? Yeah, it's really the legal um, legal structure. Um, for, we, we've got to develop that legal structure about whether it's a community trust model 
or um, some other model about how people uh, their their asset is recognised, how their input, if they do input money, how that is recognised uh, at a at a point in the future where they might want to leave and how it'll roll out. The the um, both federal government, you know, federal or the major parties seem to be interested in the cooperative structure. But, um, yeah, this just needs to be a little bit more time spent on the legal structure of the copies. But it's it's happening elsewhere, so there's no reason why it can't help and happen here. But I, I think it's really something... Even uh, Common Equity Housing Limited, the big new... or not new co-op sector, but the big co-op sector, the Kirk Co-ops and that, they're, they're interested in investigating that at, at the moment. So... And there's there's a national housing co-op uh, association that's investigating those sorts of models also, and we're currently doing some research to gather information on international models and uh, looking at some of the benefits of co-ops for people as well as for governments, trying to convince governments that well, we all know social housing, affordable housing is a huge contributor to health and well-being and so important, but um, you've got to convince government their economic benefits, and that's why the mixed equity model could could get some legs with a bit of help, I think. It, so, in, yeah, no, I'd really be interested. Yeah, it's interesting that co-ops are coming back into vogue because they were very popular um, a long time ago, well, like in the turn yeah. of last century, there were there was lots of farmers' co-ops and, and land co-ops, and, and I notice also that... Um, that some of the energy co-ops are starting to reform now too. And speaking of the past, I just wanted, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask if you could um, tell us a little bit about what it was like down on the Mornington Peninsula when a whole bunch of co-ops started in the early days of HAG because we bumped into some of your old colleagues the other day. Would you be able to just quickly tell us a little bit about that co-op movement in the 1980s? Yeah, well, that's, that was probably when I started my... Uh work in housing. Um, I've been in and out of housing over the last 30, uh, well, how many years? God, it's 40, isn't it? Um, yeah, but I was around when this program first started and there were some real dynamic women that worked very hard down at Mornington Peninsula to form the Mornington Co-op, the Frankston Co-op, the Chelsea Co-op, and um, yeah, they, they really grassroots sort of uh, groups of women that came together and uh, they actually, oh, I think, I was just trying to think, Gib Wetnell, there were some fairly innovative bureaucrats, housing bureaucrats in those times, or not many, but there were a couple of really good ones and they pushed the co-op and those women went out and formed co-ops and were given funding to purchase properties under, you know, fairly tight price ceiling, but they bought some really nice two and three bedroom houses throughout that area um, and right up across to northern Geelong so it was it was a real movement at the time and um, unfortunately half of those co-ops have gone under since that time but a few of us have, have survived and um, pushed on but yeah no those women that you spoke to um, they were really there was some great great work done and they were very strong activists in the 80s and 90s so, yeah 
Well, it's great to have you on and to hear about co-ops. I'm, I'm so glad that they're starting to be recognised by government as a potential solution for housing. Um, we're really excited about your project, looking forward to seeing when it actually starts getting built and having those women move back into the property and some new women housed. So congratulations on receiving the funding and pushing for this still. Is there anything else you want to say finally to our listeners? Um, no, I don't, well, I just think I'm glad you mentioned the energy co-op because we, we um, I, I work really hard to get a 70 kilowatt uh, solar system and we really need a good, uh, they said, oh, we'll partner up with Origin. And I said, Origin are bloody uh, fracking in North, Aboriginal land and Northern Territory. I don't want Origin. So um, you've mentioned energy co-ops, so that's going to give me some work to do. But I think we should partner with our energy co-op. So thank you for mentioning that. But, yeah, no, I, I just hope we, um, I guess, uh, need groups like yourselves to keep the social housing sector honest as we move forward because it looks like, I think the Labor government's done a wonderful, well, people might disagree, but $5.3 billion towards affordable housing over the next couple of years is much better than anywhere else in Australia. And the federal government, complete lack of leadership um, that, but in Victoria, the, the community and social housing sectors are being, will be doing most of that growth, whether you agree or not. But um, there's good and bad in that sector, so we need us. You need a, we need you to keep us honest. Don't worry, we'll <laughs> be doing that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will. Yeah. But thank you for the opportunity to talk, Fiona and Shane. They're really, really good. No, thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Peter. Cheers. Bye. Hey you mob, this virus is hanging around far too long, don't you reckon? Uncle Jack Charles here, and I for one would love to be back with community. This just isn't possible without vaccinating our community. You can contact your local ACCO and they can give you the information you need to book you an appointment so you're on your way. Together we can do better. Community, unity, immunity. Hashtag vaxxed and proud. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Uh, so you are listening to 3CR. This is Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Aged Action Group show. We are almost out of time. Uh, I was enjoying hearing about co-ops. I can't say it's something that I know a whole lot about. I hope we can make some more time for that on the show in future. I love co-ops. You love co-ops. Of course you do. <laughs> Listeners, my eyes are rolling so hard they're about to pop out of my head. The uh, Fiona, um, why don't you tell the listeners what they can do if they want to get in touch? Yeah, so if you're interested in finding out more about the United Housing Co-op that Peter is in charge of, um, in terms of um, either as a potential tenant or find out more about his development, you can jump onto their website and it's unitedhousing.org.au um, and you can find out all the information there, which is pretty awesome. Also, if you want to get in touch with Housing for the Aged Action Group, um, either to get involved in our campaigning for more housing for older people or to get some information about your own housing options, you can call our office on 03 or you can call the free 1300 number, which is 1300 765 and of course, we're online too at oldertenants.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter if you want to find us those ways. Um, we are almost out of time, so we're going to leave you with a song. Uh, this is Wuthering Heights, one of my all-time favourites. Sweet. Kate Bush. Talk to you soon. Bye, Fiona. Bye.